Welcome to episode 34 of the Tech Gypsies podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. And I'm Kim Lane. How's it going? Um, I Honestly, I really can't pl- complain. I'm, I'm kind of checked out, so it's going pretty good for me. How's it going for you? <laughs> I'm busy. I'm, I'm busy. Yeah, I, That's... I hear you're doing something. Yeah, maybe we can... Um... Maybe we can talk about that uh, at some point. The little, the little something, the little project that I'm, that I'm working on. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you're good. Um, I'm actually. This was a another in a series of, I guess, a month now. We've had a month, <laughs> at least, of the sort of post-election trauma, and this was a tough week of news again. Um, but this afternoon, right before or. I guess a couple of hours before we started recording this, I think the planet got some good news. About time. About goddamn time. Yeah. So the Army Corps of Engineers have decided that they will not approve the easement to run the Dakota Access Pipeline through the Sioux Reservation and um, that they will look do an environmental study to look for alternatives Um it's not a total victory, but it's a huge victory. And my deepest thanks to the water protectors and the native people, um, not just in North Dakota and not just in North America, but really all over the world, really the native people that have shown their solidarity with the Sioux, um, with the Lakota in, in during the struggle. So... Yeah, I mean, I think it shows that uh, the importance of direct action and, and standing up and, and being present and, and making ourselves known when we uh, want something to change. But uh, on the flip side, for me, I think it was a really um, Facebook Live kind of real-time look into, for, continued look into what we've already gotten a taste of with Ferguson and and uh, you know the, the pushback of police, but the, the military, militarization of police and just how nasty and dangerous law enforcement can be. Um, and, you know, when, when it's, especially when it's at the hands of like corporate interests, you know, oil and gas in this case. Yeah, no, I think that the, the stuff that, um, that we've seen particularly on, on Facebook, um, and I have to agree with you, I think because of Facebook Live, I think I've seen a lot more of that on Facebook than on Twitter, perhaps. Um, perhaps it's just a different set of people that I'm connected with on Facebook too, that have kept this, kept this issue at the forefront. But yeah, I think that, um, there's been a lot of sort of the technologies and not just, I don't just mean digital technologies when I say technologies, but a lot of the technologies, as you said, of weapon technology, but also the militarization of drones, um, and sort of drone versus drone v drone conflict, right? The attempts of protesters to be able to use drones to film things, um, use drones perhaps to think about supply uh, reinforcements um, versus the the um, the police and their uh, their use of drones as well. Yeah, that's a. That's just reminding me that's something I wanted to do a wrap-up on. Oh, not wrap-up, because I'm sure this will be ongoing, but uh, at least take a snapshot of, of what happened drone-wise at, 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 you know, at this event. Yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, 
Unfortunately, I mean, I, I do think that this is this is ongoing, and I think that the new administration is certainly um, certainly by by all you know by all accounts is going to be far more uh, friendly to the types of companies that want to destroy destroy the environment in order to make sort of short term profits on mineral extraction. Um, but as we said, this is a huge victory, a huge victory for direct action. And a huge victory for um, native native people in this country, and for that, um, I am profoundly profoundly grateful. Yay! Moment of of just brief brief uh, catching our breath. Yeah, I almost started to cry, but then again, I feel like I'm my my emotions are so shot right now with everything that's happened and the amount of work that I'm doing right now um, that I'm feeling quite <laughs> quite quite fragile. Um, but I want to actually now turn to a, a sadder thing that I think is connected in, in ways maybe we can tease out. And that was the fire this weekend um, at oh, a site known as the Ghost Ship in Oakland. And last time I checked the headlines, um, looks like 30 people died. I, um, I see 33. 33. Yeah, so this was a warehouse space in Oakland, California, um, and I think the reports, some of the reports have suggested that this was a party or a rave, um, and that's not to say that there wasn't um, a party going on there, but I think that this is, um, that what, the death is also a result of the fact that um, artists in particular, artists and activists, such a core part of the the history of of the Bay Area of Oakland and Berkeley and San Francisco that are being priced out of being able to live there because of the um, explosion in the tech tech sector and are choosing to squat in choosing to live in these giant warehouses that are really not designed for habitation. Um, they don't have sprinklers. They don't have sort of safe ways to get out um, and. I'm just devastated. I know that this is affecting the Oakland. A lot of friends of friends of friends um, uh, who live and work um, in the Bay Area, and this is tragic. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just it's like you said the the art the artist folks. I mean, it's just one of many classes of folks that are being priced out and pushed out. I mean, and I think of my experience with the Bay Area. I mean, back when I first started hanging out in San Francisco, and very much this crashing on people's couches, floors, wherever I could find a place to be um, in the cracks. Um, so I was late 80s and early 90s that, um, you know, you, you really scary places in San Francisco you didn't go to that often except for to hang out in some of these places were places like the Soma and South Park and uh, uh, Mission, you know, in, ironically or interestingly, I guess. And then now, you know, fast forward 20, 30 years, um, you know, that's further evolved because of the tech scene and, you know, where where you can exist, Oakland, I think Berkeley Hills and out that way is kind of one of the, you know, the few last enclaves where you can be and not have a job, um, let alone a job that, that makes six figures and still exist, eat, find a place to sleep, um, a place to create and be and exist. Um, it's getting much harder and harder, which makes me super sad about San Francisco because it's always been... Um, uh, a, a pretty creative place in my mind. I think that this reflects too, I mean, and this is, I think that we see this, 
you know, this was what I meant with the connection to the Dakota Access Pipeline, is that we see that there are decisions made um, when it comes to um, infrastructure, right, that, uh, that we really neglect the most vulnerable among us, right? So the decision to run a pipeline through... Um, through Lakota land, right, with the with the with the um, likelihood of spills, with the chance of it ruining their water supply, is a decision is a is a decision made of look, you know, how do we steer it outside of Bismarck, right, a largely umph, let's just say, almost entirely white population in North Dakota, and run it through um, a community of brown people. And I think similarly, we see in, you know, in places like Oakland, you know, how do we, how do we, how have we neglected uh, um, infrastructure and built up other kinds of infrastructure, so that the most vulnerable among us already are actually even more vulnerable by these kinds of by these kinds of accidents, right? And so you know, and the uh, the looking for a solution, um, particularly with the way in which the housing market is right now in the Bay Area, um, you know, that this is really like a lose lose situation. Like if you you know, I mean, we see some of this in LA where we are too. You know, people living in really run down. Um, uh, rundown housing situations because that's all that they can afford. And when the landlords are forced to clean it up, when they're forced to get rid of the asbestos, when they're forced to get rid of the lead paint, when they're forced to install, um, you know, make them earthquake um, resistant, they beef up the rent and it becomes, it no longer becomes a place that's affordable to live. So we're really caught in this cycle of of making decisions about infrastructure, about housing, about water that that play out um, that that play out I mean ways that are just so damaging. Yeah. To humans. I mean, yeah, and I mean this is just right in the backyard of Silicon Valley that I think is so so easily sees all of this as just you know um, you know they see. Uh, gentrification is a positive thing. It's like things are nice. There's shops that I want, the places I want to be, the people that I want to hang out with, maybe the art and and gatherings that I want to go to. But it's not, you know, it's it's relative to to us or you know, maybe a, a very white techie young audience. That it's not a very diverse meaning of art community or uh, you know, and and who who it, it really is who can afford to to exist and be you know, at, at those levels where you, where you can afford three or $4,000 a month for, an, for a single apartment. Um, you can, you know, do all the other things that go with that and afford that lifestyle. And the rest of it just has to go out where we can't even see it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, and I think that the, you know, the, the what's happened in in the in the bay area is such a microcosm for i think the larger things that the that silicon valley is sort of blindly moving forward with what with its vision of technological quote unquote progress that is actually so wildly exploitative and putting making so many people's lives even more precarious um than they already are and sort of just blindly move like not even seeing not even recognizing that the people who live next door to you are gone. <laughs> you know, the people who, the, the, you know, not even thinking about how does the person who's making, you know, $9 an hour making me my very delicious latte, you know, how do they, how do they possibly afford $3,000 a month rent? What's their commute look like every day just to come make you that? 
you know, they're they're possibly leaving behind a family because they have, you know, that lives far, far out and commuting in just to work that shitty, shitty job and make your life a little bit more comfortable because, you know, they can't do it anymore. Yeah, I mean, the, this, the, you know, this is the this, this strange sense, I think, that a lot of the Silicon Valley folks, and I, I use that term uh, that not just to reflect the geographic location of, um, you know, of Silicon Valley, right? The, and I don't just mean like Palo Alto. And by the, I don't just mean like larger, spread that geography to the Bay Area. I mean, just sort of like the ideology and culture of, of the high-tech industry in general, um, that it seems to really have convinced itself that it is a force for po- progressive political change. And it, ha- it, is, has, it is so blind, it has been so blind to the sort of um, cancerous um, growth of sort of these sort of authoritarian, fascist, racist, misogynist, um, anti-Semitic, um, things that it's also encouraged at the same time. Like, I mean, we've, you know, we've talked, I think the last two, maybe three podcasts we've talked about, about Facebook and fake news, but the fact that, you know, that, that all of this could sort of be in the midst could be going on in the midst of Silicon Valley and it wants to congratulate itself as being woke, right? Like fucking Jack Dorsey, you know, has the audacity to think that he's woke um, when in the middle of, you know, in the middle of the, the location where these people live, in the middle of the tools that they use is, is the growth of the sort of white nationalist movement um, and that that just sort of I don't know did, didn't see it didn't notice it didn't like like the burning buildings and poisoned water just didn't see. Well, I think I think the whole the whole move fast and break things and disruption world of disruption seeking startup fame and fortune and all of this I think it really primes the pump for just really not ever stopping and taking a look and uh, around you let alone you're not even you're you don't even have the platform for doing that in the first place because where where you come from privilege race um you know class a bunch of bunch of things um but then you're moving so fast and you're 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 looking at this forward goal in your mind's eye that you got to reach this exit this 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 thing that you're working you know, everything for, and and why are all these fucking people in my way, you know, when I go get my fucking coffee on the, um, you know, on Market Street, and, and, uh, you know, I'm doing good, I'm trying to make the world a better place, I'm actually trying to save all you, you know, poor, poor, ignorant people in the Midwest, and stuff like that, and I think it's really that, that kind of, that whole tone, and, and, and approach, ideology, you know, we, like you said, Silicon Valley, but wider is just really damaging because they think it's really, they're doing the world good, but they're not at all pausing to look around and seeing the damage they do. And by going into every single fucking industry and disrupting and changing the past, um, it's just so destructive and so destructive. I hope some of it's catching up. I mean, when it comes to housing, you know, discussions and, 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 and the taxi industry and, and all the other fronts that, that Silicon Valley is just like hitting against hard. I, I, I hope that reality is starting to sink in and, and skepticism will, will, um, of the Silicon Valley ideology will, will reign, but I, I just don't know. I, I you know people are so blind. I mean, it's hard, you know, it's hard because 
you know, the, this theme that we've talked about the last couple of weeks of, of the misinformation and disinformation via the news and, and not just Facebook, but, you know, but sort of the, the, um, mainstream quote, mainstream media, mass, mass media as well. I mean, I, I think that it's it's very it's going to be very hard I think to sort of rock people out of 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 some of this just because of the the information world in which they they live right the kinds of things that they're thinking and seeing and then the ways in which what they think and see is used um used against them so I had actually bookmarked a couple of weeks ago to talk about a story that was in the New York Times called The Secret Agenda of a Facebook Quiz, which was a look at the way in which the data um, of what seemed to be, I think, very banal quizzes on Facebook, right? What, like, what, you know, what, what's, what color are you? What's your totem animal? What, what Beatles song best represents you, right? So these these seemingly banal Facebook quizzes are actually have been um, often used uh, by a company called Cambridge Analytica to create personality profiles of millions and millions and millions and millions of Facebook users worldwide. And that company was um, which is founded by the Mercer family, a billionaire um, billionaire family that supports a lot of the very same GOP-oriented campaigns as the Koch brothers and the DeVos family. Um, we talked about Betsy DeVos last week. Um, but the sitting on the board of this company is Steve Bannon um, from Breitbart. Uh, this company was used um, by the Ted Cruz campaign, and when he dropped out, they... Um, they uh, the Trump campaign hired them. So although I think again, um, Democrats chuckled that they had this whole infra this whole technolo technology infrastructure that um, Barack Obama had used in 2008 and 2012. Um, but the the GOP or the Trump campaign had had a new technology infrastructure, and it was based on the data gleaned from people's personality quizzes on Facebook. And they use that information as a sort of social engineering attempt to manipulate people into thinking and believing and doing things. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I mean, several things there. I mean, one, I've been railing against people answering Facebook quizzes for fucking years. And, and <laughs> I mean, just for, just at the simple level of like, um, it's like a, it's just a, a dumb at, like it's just like you know you're just handing over your data to who knows who, but, right? But then mind-blowingly, the people who who just insist on pushing back, why do you care? What uh, I don't not, I don't care about giving my data. Let them have it. All you know, all the dumbass responses that you get. But then, like I've I've written several fictional stories on my alternate blogs about this. You know, one was um, one was kind of uh, alluding to my my former fa stepfather who's who's completely right-wing nut job uh gun toting and and you know it's like you know about obama taking her guns type thing it's like they know who has all the guns because you're all fucking you know are the ones who shared or did the quiz about you know obama taking your guns or you fucking <laughs> shared the fucking thing that says some some lie meme about him you know your doctor recommending you know 
if you mention something about guns, your doctor is required by, you know, Obamacare to tell them. They don't need to fucking know. You just fucking shared a fucking meme on it, dumbass, you know? And and so it's like the multiple layers of this is like so fucking wacky. And then now it's just like at this, ironically, this, this weird fucking um, Breitbart fucking right wing fucking conspiracy level thing of... They've, you know, and I saw this going through the the latest kind of news. I just got my Amazon bill for the latest thing, uh, um, fake news processing that I did, and I spent about six hundred bucks, seven hundred bucks um, going through. And <laughs> you should have just bought ads <laughs> and for education. But I man. <laughs> I quickly saw as I was parsing, um, you know, three hundred domains, um, the subdomains that they, the domains that they supported, um, linked to, shared. Um, the Twitter accounts, the Facebook accounts, the services, the social media services I use, it quickly became clear how sophisticated they are and what they're doing. And I was asked myself, do I have the resources? Do I have the time and energy and emotional bandwidth to take this on? No, I don't. I don't have any fucking institution behind me. I really don't need all these trolls coming after us. We already have so many from your side of the world coming after us. Um, and so it's evident that they have their shit together. And it's just at some pretty interesting, scary, scary levels. And when you think about Peter Thiel and and his involvement, um, it's just fuck. Yeah, no, I think that this is... Um yeah, this is this is so it's frightening on on many many levels. I mean, it's frightening because, you know, um, you know, the members of the Trump transition team who say, you know, yes, we're going to build a registry of of Muslims. Um, it's it's you know, the the, the this is not simply a matter of um, building building a brand new database that that people have to add their name to, right? Um, and uh, I always recommend people read the book, I'm going to blank on its name now, about the history of IBM and the Holocaust, right? Because I think that this is, you know, this is the kind of stuff that people have been doing with quote unquote big data, f- even pre, you know, uh, pre or proto proto computer um, age, the ability to sort of be able to identify who you are, not because you say, hey, I'm a Muslim or, hey, I'm a Jew or, hey, I own a gun, but because you can make inferences based on a variety of signals that people that people send off, uh, where they live, um, where they where they go, what they like. Um, what they say on their census forms and, and even what they don't say on their census forms. Um, so the sort of notion that the, that Facebook um, that Facebook is this vehicle not just for information being collected by advertisers. I mean, I think we know that. And I think we think of that means that, like, you know, that means I'm going to get, you know, as I approach, um, you know, as I, as I become a woman of a certain age, if you will, right, that I'm going to get um, ads for uh, facelifts and for, you know, stretch pants. Um, it's not just a matter of targeted advertising based on a demographic. It's actually much more insidious and much more frightening that this is actually targeted. Um, this isn't just like selling you stuff. This is actually sort of algorithmically um, sort of, um, molding you to sort of think and behave certain ways politically, right? And so that to me is incredibly frightening. So, you know, how on earth did we get Brexit? How on earth did we get Trump? Um, 
you know, I think that it's, it's not so simple as sort of disaf- um, you know, economically disaffected people. It's not so simple as, um, uh, nationalism. It's not so simple as white supremacy, but what is undergirding, what's undergirding a lot of this stuff is actually, we live in this information world that is now so m- manipulated and to a calculated level, right? This isn't simply like, we want to give you this information so that you, um, you know, to, inf- to better inform you or to perhaps worse inform you if you're Fox News. But this is really a much more calculated um, profiling of you as an individual as opposed to you as sort of like this loosely based demographic of someone between the ages of, you know, 45 to 65 who we think watches CNN and therefore needs a certain kind of pharmaceutical advertised to you. It's really much, it's really, um, it's a lot more calculated and a lot more precise than that. Well, I think what, you know, back to what we were saying before about people being so oblivious and so blind to, you know, the damage done by what they're doing. You know, you've got these well-meaning, um, seemingly nice young young men and women that are building these really cool tools for, you know, dating and, and, and dare I say, it, education and stuff that they're going to save the world, but they, like, have because of their privilege and because of their little bubble and because of their comfort levels and they're just totally blind to the rest of the world how how muslims actually live and how people of color actually live and people just right down the street from them actually live they're not even going to think about this cog in this wheel that they're they're doing when they make this amazing analytics dashboard and and tool you know that when all you got to do is drop it into the hands of law enforcement like we talked about with geophedia the other week um you know and these tools that get dropped in like it's you should be thinking about this, you know, about what the impact your technology has. You know, we don't expect you to sit and dwell on every very dystopian variation, but fuck, at least fucking have some fucking, you know, give pause and think about what you're building and what you're contributing to and, and what you're part of a, a, a larger vehicle in, in driving down a road. Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I don't relish saying I told you so, but as, you know, as a text Cassandra, I do spend a lot of time muttering under my breath, I told you so. Um, and I think that this is, you know, this is, um, this is the comeuppance that, uh, that I think hasn't quite come to education technology, but I think, you know, it could poise to be quite ugly. I had, um, a conservative, uh, friend on Facebook who posted last night that, um, that college students who burn the American flag should not be eligible for financial aid. Um, and of course, this echoes what Donald Trump had said uh, a week or so ago, that people who burn the flag should be imprisoned or lose their citizenship. Um, and so as far as I can tell, I think maybe four, maybe three or four college students since Trump's election have burned a flag. But I think it must be on CNN, or not CNN, on Fox, perhaps it's on CNN too, nonstop, because it's a very important issue in this conservative friend of mine's um, worldview right now. It's like the top issue for him is that college students are, are burning are burning a flag. And so, um, but, you know, thinking about the ways in which if you know, if we take these things not even to like their to their logical extreme, but if we take these things to like a couple of steps 
forward in the data profiling of, say, college students. And we're going to decide that we're going to make decisions about allocating resources, whether it's financial aid resources or counseling resources or who gets a spot in a certain class or who gets admitted to a certain school. If we're going to make these decisions based on people's first, the, how they express themselves, their, their political expression, we're fucked. But we're also fucked because education technology has really bought in into a surveillance regime. So we've been, we've been tracking all sorts of stuff about what students do, what they click on, what they read, how long they spend reading things, whether they, um, who they are, who they're, you know, what classes they take, what their preferences seem to be. And it's done under the guise of sort of serving one particular set of quote-unquote problems that um, entrepreneurs have convinced administrators that are, is occurring. But it is going to be very, very easy to build profiles in which students are absolutely denied resources and academic freedom of both students and free speech of students, academic freedom of faculty will be so quickly and easily dismantled because people are fucking filling out these fucking Facebook quizzes. Well, and all these companies, I mean, I know you see it, but I'm looking at the Cambridge Analytics site right now. And it looks, when you're on the homepage and goes through a product service, it has all the buzzwords. It looks like a startup. It looks yeah, like it's... a startup to me. But, you know, what are they missing? An API. Because they don't even have the notion. They have them. They have APIs. But they don't have the notion of a modern API where there's any sort of transparency in what the fuck is going on here. They have APIs. Once you've made it through their gateway and their sales cycle um, and, and paid them some money, I'm sure there's there's some APIs you can get at. But, you know, there's there's none to kind of act as this, this middleware for trying to understand what the fuck is going on here and, and what they're using, what they have access to, what data points, um, because cause you you know you don't need to see that. And this is, I think, the blueprint that, you know, uh, Peter Thiel and, and other people are using. And I think as in as I know you've been battling in a lot, a lot of these these uh, school districts and teachers, um, whether it's it's directly IT focus or shadow IT from from teachers, it's like, hey, use this cool new service. But, you know, they're in bed with or they they share, you know, investors or board directors with, you know, Palantir, these other groups that are, you know, they're going to be your best buddy because at some point they're going to want to acquire you um, that's, and play the funding game, scratch each other's backs. And all this is going on without any sort of transparency on what data is being gathered, collected, what sort of kind of SSO, you know, connectivity between these different platforms exists. None of these questions get asked. And, and people are just more than happy to use these services. Yeah, well, um, we've filled our time without actually having to talk about like the thousands of words that I've published so far on my year-end review. But I will say um, that this was sort of how I wanted to frame the first piece in my series, which was the one on wishful thinking, um, was, um, was that I think that for, for far too long, people who work in education technology have been, have been really de in denial, I'll even say, about the, what, what, what's happening with the tools that they embrace and support working in the service of very, very damaging and exploitative worldview. Um, and 
uh, I mean, I've got, so I've published two. I'm going to publish another um, tomorrow. I've got 10 of these. I usually top out about 75,000 words looking at this, but I have to say that like, um, this, this is, uh, what's, what's happening in education technology is not immune to the sort of stuff that, that we have been talking about. Fake news, discrimination by design, algorithmic discrimination, exploitation, um, uh, using like running the shittiest infrastructure through the most vulnerable populations, extracting value, leaving communities decimated. Uh, this the education technology has to re refocus itself and not just on this wishful thinking that because somebody wrote something in the 1950s that sounded really wonderful, like Vannevar Bush, or, you know, and the sort of vision of the beauty of the web of, of uh, Tim Berners-Lee. If, if we are going to keep referring back to these like 70 year old documents as being the things that center us for justice, then we're fucked in ed tech because we have to deal with, um, we have to deal directly and the direct action piece of the Dakota Access Pipeline should perhaps make us think of a way forward. We have to deal directly with these assholes and stop them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, yeah, I told you so. <laughs> I mean, to quote you, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. it's pretty, pretty crazy. And thank, thanks for what you do as far as talking about this. Um, I think the, uh, I think the wrap-ups that you do, I mean, I, I think are so, I think they're going to be looked back on. Hopefully there's, there's some, some, something left after the, the records of the next four years, but, um, I'm <laughs> yeah, hoping yeah, I should print them out, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty scary. And, and for me, like, like, I mean, APIs, like, yeah, sure. I can sit here and argue on the side as a little chihuahua saying, you know, you should be open, you should be transparent, you should let other people access that data, third-party audits, blah, blah. But, like, what you focus on is the root. I mean, sure, the fake news and, and the API stuff was exploited to, and we should better understand that how the fake news happened. But the reason why Trump is in office, is, the number one point is education. And if we let people erode, continue to erode, and whittle away at this at all, on all fronts, we're fucked. We're fucked. Yeah. Well, uh, let's let's let the uh, the water protect. No, let's let the water protectors um, be like the the thing that we can hold to right now. That when a group of people come together with prayerful actions in the service of justice, that justice will prevail. Amen. Amen. All right. Till next week. Next week. <laughs> <laughs>